back to Kyle's internal monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 3 episode, Messages from Earth. So this is the beginning of a three... Uh, I almost said issue. I read way too many comics. Uh, three episode arc um, that really changes everything going forward. And if that wasn't obvious from the end of this episode, that nothing is going to be the same anymore, then... You know, it's going to kick in when we get to the later episodes of this arc. Because this is massive. Things will change. Things will never be the same again. This is the ultimate status quo shift. And this is the ultimate in JMS going, no, this show is different from other shows. Um, But uh, we have a lot going on in this episode. And... A lot of it ties in with some ongoing plot threads. A lot of it furthers a lot of character stuff. Um, and and it's, it's just really good drama. Really good, compelling drama. I, I like how we open up on a relatively small scene. Vanova, you know, uh, Garibaldi, and Sheridan. You know, having breakfast. And uh, there, there, there's some just great, funny banter between them. You know, the you know the, the, the rule of Sui. What does that mean? Shut up and eat it. And, uh, and of course, uh, the entire ordeal of Marcus buying Ivanova, you know, eggs and bacon. And we have heard about how hard it is to import certain things and keeping it fresh. And, I mean, that's the entire point of way back in the gathering when Laurel Takashima had that, uh, the, the coffee plants, which Ivanova inherited. Uh, you know, the, that kind of thing. And so Marcus went through a lot of loopholes to get her these you know, eggs and bacon, and so it's just kind of adorable, and it's fun, and it's delightful, and it's just good, you know, it, it, it provides some wonderful banter, some, and furthers the entire Marcus Ivanova thing, uh, and is a nice contrast to this episode slowly getting darker and darker and darker as it goes on, and this is this was made in the 90s you know uh television fights aren't as complex as they are now um and so sometimes the fights in babylon 5 can come off as rather ham-fisted and cheesy kind of uh just very like okay it's not well shot or whatever but legitimately the fight scene uh with marcus and whatnot it was legitimately good i think well well choreographed um uh, tense, yeah, some of the props look cheap, but it still had a nice sense of atmosphere and tension, and it was just fun. Um, so I, I, th I think this is one of the rare, like, physical fights, you know, the actual, like, hand-to-hand -hand fighting that looks really, really good. Uh, not anything close to what we have nowadays in television, uh, with flashy moves and, and shit like that, which, granted, can... Some of that can be debated because, you know, real combat isn't anything flashy. Uh, and, and a lot of television fight choreographers are, are interested in making things look flashy rather than look realistic. Which I think you need to kind of have a bucket, a 50-50 sort of, sort of look at it. Where you want your fight to feel real, but you also want it to look good. Um You know, uh, so I, I think it's about the tone you're evoking and stuff like that. So, for instance, if, like, The Witcher TV show happened, and uh, I'm not going to give my personal opinions on it. You can read that uh, on thedailyfandom.com and now.org. 
Um, it's uh, something and something begins the a retrospective on the Witcher saga part eighteen. Um, me and a friend called Claudia, who was previously on this show, has been going book by book, game by game, and now by uh, season of the Witcher saga. Uh, me, a super experienced fan, and her, a brand new person, experiencing the the the, the story. And we give our opinions. I have mixed feelings about the show, but the, the, the fights in it were legitimately well choreographed. And that's a show, and that's a series, where the, your main character is not going to fight like an ordinary person. So you have to make it seem realistic, but also be flashy because you can. By the very conceit of the main character, you know, he doesn't fight like ordinary people. Um, and so the fight here from Marcus looks good for 90s television definitely better than you know other tv shows i can think of uh that had the hand-to-hand combat um i mean i love star trek i've made no uh you know uh miss about that i love star trek but it's infamous palm punches and two-handed strikes that make no logical sense uh yeah you know television fighting in the 90s not the greatest um so this is this is the episode where we get the reveal that um, granted, actually, if you had been reading the comics, it, it kind of uh, ties in um, where basically the uh, we get revealed that the shadows uh, had a vessel on Mars and it was discovered by IPX Inter- interplanetary expeditions. Garibaldi was there for other reasons. That's all the comics. That's one thing I do love about Babylon 5. I I, I may have mentioned it before, but every material produced for Babylon 5 is canon. So the books, the comics, and the TV show all work in tandem to tell one story. Um, I'm only covering the TV show, but if you go into the books, they even go beyond what the television show goes to. Uh, they fill in some backstory. They fill in some ideas. Um, the comics do the same thing. It's all canon within of itself. And, uh, because JMS worked on all of them, he didn't personally write some of them, but what he did is he provided them outlines to go based off of, uh, to make sure that nothing contradicted. And uh, so I, I, I like that. Um, but this is where we get that the shadow vessels, uh, the, 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 the shadow vessels kind of burrow themselves underground and, uh, and can be awakened. Uh, and the, the, one had been lying dormant on Mars for who knows how long. And now it has, it, it was awoken and it, that, that kind of situation became classified, uh, IPX was doing some shady dealings, Psycor got involved, uh, some of the Earth government got involved, and any people who are not basically on the take are disappearing. Uh, basically, they are being killed. And so Kirkish, Dr. Kirkish, is one of the last surviving members of this situation and is telling Sheridan and the Army of Light. And you can tell that um, that JMS reads a lot of comics and he'll eventually get a lot of comic book work because the way Kirkish's uh, monologue is played, it feels very much like uh, though you would play it in a comic where you would have a panel of the person talking and then you would you would transition to a panel of the flashback with a caption box. 
granted, this kind of thing has been done in television before. It's, it's just monologuing over a situation, but it 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 feels different. It has a very comic book sensibility to the way it was presented. I don't know if that was if that's just me. I read a lot of comics. Comics are my medium. It's the medium I love the most. I personally write comics, and I've produced two. Um, you can find those on Tapas. I hate to toot my own horn, but it is a thing. You can you can find uh, you know the path you choose to walk and uh, uh, all the worlds of stage uh, by Kyle Share uh, with art by Flygor. But um, basically, uh, the cosmic horror of the situation uh, is really well presented. I like the, the, the atmosphere of these flashbacks, the horror of the music, and just the gargantuanness of the situation. Uh, no one knew these things existed, and suddenly they, they, they're coming out like flies. You know, it's just uh, and scary to think about. And... And then the, the the secrecy of the government getting involved, it was well done. Uh, there was an obligatory cut cut the black, uh, you know, cut the commercial segment where it's like, you, no, basically where she's like, whoever will have this information will die. Cut cut the commercial. That monologue, I think, could have been trimmed down to maybe avoid the commercial break so we didn't have to cut the dramatics, but that's me trying to nitpick and uh, and find flaws in an otherwise masterfully well-done uh, exposition dump, effectively, is what it is. Um, and I, I like how, as a result of this, Sheridan begins to question his badge he takes off the earth alliance symbol and he looks at it at one point uh you know he has continued uh since last season since we were introduced to him constantly been hitting a wall when it comes to his duties what he's is the right thing and what earth wants it's like it's like talking to a brick wall and you can't get through to them and he's finally starting to realize more than just the fact that clark is an asshole you know, potentially had the, the president assassinated and all these corrupt situations and the Night Watch and the Mystery of Peace, now they're directly involved with the biggest enemy that we know exists. That would lead anyone to question their loyalties. And uh, I like that he's not taking it lightly. He he wants proof and he, and he wants to make sure that he can act uh, correctly and precisely and not not react uh, harshly. He, he, he needs to have the facts with him. Uh, and that and that's when him and Delenn decide to take the white star uh, and deal with the the shadow vessel situation and we get the we get the reveal that uh, that the shadow vessels are only piloted by one person. Uh, and that one person becomes psychically linked to the bioorganism that is a shadow vessel. Uh, and in this situation, think about how they dealt with the shadow vessel. The last time, they blew up an entire jump gate to destroy the shadow vessel. This time, they fly into Jupiter and use the 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 atmosphere, the 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 high gravity atmosphere of uh, of. Uh, uh, of Jupiter to crush the shadow vessel. These are both highly dangerous maneuvers that were incredibly risky by Sheridan to take on the shadow vessels. 
if this continues and they're gonna have if this continues and they have to fight a war against these things think how much losses they're going to take and how many risks they're gonna have to take to win and it's worth noting that Sheridan continues to take more and more risks uh you know he's getting riskier by the day um you know last time he he opened up a jump point within a jump gate now he's the first person to ever do an inside a planet jump an inter-atmosphere jump uh and and while the agamemnon is it's kind of obvious you know from a writer standpoint and from a viewer standpoint that it's the agamemnon that stops him it does create good drama because that was his ship he trained everybody on there you know that's important because uh, this is all about Sheridan learning to basically go with his gut. You know, he's been taking bigger and bigger risks, and now he has to really go for it. He's to gun it, pedal to the metal. And the symbology is is that you know uh, you can't you can't live with the past. You have to kill it. You know, get rid of it. And that becomes more and more apparent as we reach the end of the episode, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, there are several different scenes I want to talk about in particular before I talk about the big thing at the end, uh, is that, uh, first it's the night watch situation. So the night watch I've been mentioning are basically Nazis. They're really creepy. They're really creepy and really scary. Um, and they've, they've taken steps in previous episodes to increase their sort of uh, array of finding things, you know, looking into past affiliations, political political allegiances, etc., blah, 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 blah. But now they've taken even more steps. First, you can now accept a testimony anonymously, which means you don't have to vet your sources, which means you can accept anybody's word. Two... They say, you know, when Zack confronts them and says, hey, does that mean that everybody is guilty? Uh, you know, anybody that says anything that is not on the, the Night Watch party line effectively is guilty. And uh, the response is, well, not everybody is guilty because by affiliating yourself with the Night Watch, you're immediately exempt from persecution. You're considered innocent. It's... If you're not with us, you're against us. And then the third thing they take is they take uh, everything they have been targeting. Uh, you know, dissenters, um, you know, uh, freedom of speech, etc. And basically any, any, any unpatriotic people, anybody they don't agree with, they have now lumped together in one group now. Instead of multiple different threats. It has now become one threat. Basically, the the to quote voice of authority, uh, you know, it's all about rewriting the dictionary semantics. So what they did is they took the concept and they rewrote it. So instead of being multiple threats, it's now one threat. And the fact that now Nightwatch feels like it and Earth in particular and Clark. As you know, as an extension is being targeted by unpatriotic people on the behest of an outside source to uh, begin weakening uh, people's alliances, uh, the weaken Earth, 
to uh, bring down our defenses so that it's a prelude to an invasion. It's the classic pass the buck mentality. It's not our fault. It's, it's their fault. And in order to make the enemy one enemy, you take that, you take all the disparate opinions and ideas and everything that they've been fighting against and you lump it into one and say, they aren't responsible for what they say. It's X blank, you know, whatever, you know, uh, let's just use an example. The Centauri, they wouldn't say that, but, you know, just use an example. It's the Centauri that did it. Okay, now all of them are now connected to the Centauri, which means we can now hate on the Centauri and thus hate on everyone. You rewrite the dictionary. Uh, if you want to look at a real-world example, um, I mean, there, there are many, but uh, look at the war on drugs. It was originally... Uh, it was originally targeting uh, a large majority of black communities, and when that became a social faux pas to uh, to attack a minority for obvious reasons, you shouldn't be doing that. It then became the war on drugs, which uh, almost universally attacks low-income black communities, uh, thus making that the face. Of the war on drugs, even though the war on drugs should be separate and is not, it should not be a race issue. It was turned into a race issue because it was all about rewriting the dictionary to target said race. It was a horrible and racist ideology that caused so many problems and still causes problems today. And that inherently is what the Night Watch just did. And Zack feels incredibly uncomfortable. And then it's taken a step further when he's asked, spy on Garibaldi. He's like, no, 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 no. Me and Garibaldi, we may not always see the eye to eye, but we're friends. And that means something. And now he begins to look at his own badge. And he begins to wonder. My uniform doesn't fit. Remember that? He's trying to find his place. Now, the car bit. I love how we t touch back on Panchakar. Um, and he's in prison, and he's so much calmer than he used to be, and he seems like he's actually enjoying his time in prison, because, uh, to quote him when he was sentenced, I'm much closer to the source now. He doesn't need the Book of Jaquan. Matter of fact, he's writing his own book, uh, the Book of Jaquan. And uh, what that means for the future, who knows, but he's far calmer and the entire speech he gives the Garibaldi about silence and how everything in out in the outside world is there to distract us from our thoughts and you know our feelings our ideas but in here in silence there is a um there, there's something to be said about silence and the ability for it to help you find yourself all you have is you no distractions no nothing else just you and there's there, there's a there's a sense of Zen that's kind of over Jakar, and there's a sense of spirituality that that wall was there was kind of hidden under a bunch of rage, anger, and violence that is now kind of washed away. That distractions have gone away, and now in the silence, he sees who he is now. Um. And then the Sheridan and Delenn stuff. Uh, the uh, th that scene between them 
uh, you know, in, in the crew quarters of, uh, of the White Star is just adorable. Uh, and I, and I love the, the, the entire speech that Sheridan gives about how, you know, he finds the sound of rain hitting the roof soothing. And I do too, to be honest, but basically, you know, he, he was, he's always been nervous, you know, and it helped him calm him. It helped him study, uh, helped him sleep. Uh, and his dad knowing that he needed to succeed on this test, went out, sprayed the water hose uh, until it sounded like it was raining for his son. And he would, and Sheridan says, I'm sure he would have stayed out there for a long time if he had to. And that's true. That's what love is. That's what caring is. That's, it's called being a good father. But beyond that, it's also, it's what love means. And the Lynn feeling a connection between Sheridan asks the White Star to make it sound like it's raining. It's a nice way to relax Sheridan because you can tell he's on edge. He's been on edge for many, many episodes. And in this episode, when he finally gets a chance to relax and he's talking with someone who else who's carried the weight of the shoulders, uh, the weight of the world on her shoulders, uh, the, they're finally able to relax, and it, you you feel this wave washing over him. The the way it's acted is brilliant by Bruce Boxleitner, uh, and it's just a wonderful scene. And it's just it's adorable. I love them together, and I and I just love that scene. It's just a wonderful scene. And of course, uh, Ivanova and Marcus, uh, they have some wonderful interplay in this uh, this episode because Marcus is a funny man. He he takes his job seriously, but he also can't help but throw in a wry joke every once in a while. And that kind of behavior pisses Ivanova off. Not directly. It's all indirect. Because she's not actually angry at Marcus. She's angry at what he represents. What he represents is an unknown quantity. Uh, he's we weaseled his way into the upper echelons of Babylon 5, into uh, a position of power, but no one really knows him all that well. And the mission that she was supposed to go on, Sheridan has gone on instead, meaning that the her boss is now in danger, she can't control whether he lives or dies, and she's now stuck with someone who she doesn't quite understand or know. Uh, you know, she doesn't feel like she belongs, much like Marcus, in her eyes, doesn't belong. And so there's this entire parallel of control and belonging, and that's what really pisses her off. She's going against her own, you know, nation at this point, her own planet, her own people, because this could really, really backfire on them, and they know that, and it's a risk, but it's a risk they have to take, and... She cannot control it. This situation is bigger than everyone on this station, and everyone knows it, and that's why it's so important that they succeed. It is a suicide mission. And she can't be there to make sure it succeeds. It's out of her control. And she has to sit at that desk and do mundane tasks around Babylon 5 and hope to God that they succeed. I've talked about before she has to be in control. She has to make sure things work out. Otherwise, it drives her insane. And that's what we see when she snaps at Marcus. And of course, at the very end, when we have that light, humorous moment between them that's that's almost cute uh, and romantic in a way, 
uh, and uh, where, where Marcus comes in with a diagram explaining where he fits into the Babylon 5 upper echelons with her at the center, naturally. Uh, and it, it, it just... The, the, the interplay between them is perfect because you have this kind of lackadaisical not, uh, guy who takes his duty seriously but isn't willing to crack a smile and laugh and someone who would normally be like that but when she's out of her depth when she's not in control she gets deadly serious and she's not in the mood for jokes uh and it's it's just a wonderful interplay uh and builds that on that character dynamic that i've been talking about between them uh and of course this is where we get to the ending um so I have a couple of notes I want to talk about in the spoiler section, but first I'll note that ending, the way it's played, love it, of, it's very, you know, very humorous scene, as I was mentioning, between Ivanov and Marcus, uh, and then it takes a very quick and dark turn, and almost mundane in the way it's done, where it's simply a news broadcast, uh, there's no dramatic music or anything like that. It's just mundane news broadcast. President Clark has officially signed a decree today declaring martial law. Repeat, Earth is now under martial law. And to have those words, that action, told to you in the most uncaring, you know, mundane way, most uh, you know, monotone newscaster voice. It's, called, it's chilling. That's how you create suspense, man. That is so good. Wonderfully done, and what a great cliffhanger. Now, I'm going to get into the spoilers real quick, because some interesting stuff came up when I first watched this. Uh, way back in the day when I first watched this, um, when President Clark you know, officially declared martial law as a result of everything Sheridan did. You know, spinning, you know, spinning that wheel, basically, and uh, in, in turning everything Sheridan did for the greater good against him uh, and, and using it to further their own narrative, the rewriting of the dictionary that aliens are evil. And to take his steps next, uh, his his steps forward, because the news has been relatively tightening against him, as we are updated again at the beginning of this episode. You know, uh, the news was basically going around his neck. You know, people were starting to gather evidence. People were starting to doubt him, and this is his one chance to seize control and make sure that his his grip on Earth doesn't you know get shaken off. And when martial law was declared, and you get that very cold monotone newscasters say you know president clark has declared martial law i immediately yelled at my tv declare independence declare independence now the irony is i won't have long to wait for that but i didn't know that at the time i was just sitting there intensely focused on the story wrapped in it enraptured that's that's how you can tell you're experiencing good stories. If you don't notice the rest of the world and you aren't enveloped in these characters, their situations and what's going on. And all I could do was yell and scream, declare independence now. Two more episodes. Two more. 
Jakar has now started to write his own book, the, the Book of Jakar, uh, which will become important, especially in Season 5, when his, books, his book is distributed, accidentally distributed, and becomes a new version of religious text, furthering him as a priest. Uh, I've been mentioning how calm he is, how zen he is, and now he's taking that next step forward and becoming a murder effectively for the uh except except not actually killed martyr in spirit i guess uh patron saint i'll, I'll say of the narn cause is becoming a religious figure and vitally vitally important uh and i just thought that was interesting that uh it all starts in prison uh and uh how his mistake led to his enlightenment then enlightenment will lead to the helping and later freeing of the narn i like that um stories are all about characters and characters making decisions sometimes not always the right decisions is important there's a difference between a bad story telling a story about a character that makes a bad decision or a stupid decision a good story in which a character makes a bad decision but it is part of their character it is part of their flaws and that will lead to the story ongoing you know a story is you know a character wants something you know something gets in their way they have to overcome that difficulty and then they are presented with the opportunity to change you know that is what a story is uh and then the other thing I want to talk about was just that during that scene between Delenn and Sheridan, there's a really sweet line uh, that will become important for later. Don't worry, I shall watch you and catch you should you fall. It's really, really a nice sentimental line showing the the growing bond between Delenn and Sheridan. Uh, that entire scene's about that. But I also like it because it's uh, it's going to become important later because Sheridan's going to have a very famous fall and it's going to be taken quite literally. You know, the reason he's... Why are you here? The the, 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 the question that Lorian will ask him. The answer is Delenn. And sure, it's sentimental. Sure, you can, some people may see it as sappy. I like that kind of romance in my fiction. I like well-written, you know, romance that isn't forced and isn't um, used to create drama for no necessary reason. I like characters being madly in love with each other. You can let characters be happy and still have them go through shit. My opinion, anyway. But that's it. That's all I have for Messages from Earth. I will continue with this ongoing three issue arc. I almost said it again. The uh, the three episode arc uh, that changed everything about Babylon Five. See you next time. Bye.